Good morning, good morning. We're going to be talking about four things this morning, uh, despair and hope, David and Jesus. Despair and hope, David and Jesus. And um, as we open this topic, hopefully you've been enjoying the study as we've gone through the life of David and seen some similarities and struggles and things that we get a picture into a life that God was molding and making into his likeness. It's not a life that was perfect. Jesus was that perfect example. Um, but the opportunity for us to go, ah, I identify with that. They're nuts. David did that too. And, and this morning, there's, there's a, a piece of what we're going to talk about, um, that despair and hope, David and Jesus. And uh, raise your hand if you ran over a pothole on the way to church today. <laughs> despair does not have to be an everyday part of our lives, but there are pits of, of uh, pieces that we, potholes in life that we run into, all of us. And the New Testament is clear about that. The Christian life is not devoid of uh, potholes that we hit and run. Um, I know that each of us probably have, as you get closer to your house, you know where those potholes are, and you start to avoid them if you can, or you try and pick the least big pothole that you can. I remember on the way home, I avoided this pothole, avoided it. I was talking on the phone, and I turned across in the pothole, and my tire on my Suburban blew. Right? Sometimes we're not paying attention, or sometimes we lose focus, or sometimes things happen in our lives that cause us to not be able to avoid turning those potholes into bigger issues than maybe that they needed to be. And if you would, just take your thumb, and each of you know that your thumbs are bigger than those, those speakers. So pull your thumb close enough that, you, that the speaker looks like it's actually, your thumb is bigger, right? And start, part of what David did in this section was, is he pulled 10 years of wandering in a wilderness, running from Saul, and finally it had enough. And some of you have been in that situation, all of us have, when we... You know, there are potholes in life where you just pass through and go on, and then there's sinkholes that consume us. And how do we respond in those times? And, and David here, again, God is not done with us when we make a mistake. He's not going, oh, Bob screwed up again. Yep. He's going, hey, I, I'm here for you. I want to be the center of what is going on in this life that's molding you to, into my likeness, that's molding you into a longing for an eternity in heaven one that continues to take our kind of stakes that are here and anchors and throw them toward eternity. Remove the, the things that hold us this life and push us toward the future. And so that's what we're hopefully going to see this morning in David. And as we come, some of you may not have the hope in Jesus that we'll talk about at the conclusion. I would just ask you, um, as, as despair can happen, um, it doesn't have to because we have Christ. Let's open a prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity just to look at a life. Lord, if you were to write a, light, a story like you did about David, about my life, it would not be as pretty as his. So we just come this morning. Thank you for the reality. Thank you that you are a God that loves, that's merciful, that's gracious, that's molding each one of us into your likeness so that you get glory from our lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. David's life. So just a real quick recap. He was born the youngest of eight sons. He was a shepherd. He killed a lion and a bear. 
When he was a teenager, Samuel showed up and anointed him king of Israel. But that happened later in life, not till he was 30. David killed Goliath. He played music for the king. He married King Saul's daughter, became best friends with the king's son. Then he was hunted by, Saul hunted for David for approximately 10 to even more years of his life. Those of you that are in your 20s, imagine if all of your 20s were spent running from someone that was your father-in-law, your dad's best friend, and didn't just want to harm you, but wanted to kill you. Knowing that actually the job that that person had, God had appointed you to take. And you'd had chances to remove that obstacle, as David did twice, cutting off a piece of his garment, taking the sword and saying, hey, I could have, God delivered you, I didn't do it. And so it's remarkable that David ran and ran and ran. And sometimes our lives can feel like, am I just in this trouble forever? Maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a job, maybe it's a, whatever it might be. Is this ever gonna change? Is there, is there hope in this situation? And left to ourselves, there's not hope. Left to David's guises, he knew that Saul, the, the previous passage, Saul had just said, David, you're better than I, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna quit pursuing you. But David knew better. He isn't perfect. He tried to honor his God. He's running for 10 years. His 20s were tough. And then David despairs when he focuses his, on his circumstances instead of God's promises. Some of our lives look like this. This is David running, 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 running. He starts here, he goes to Gath, has to act like a wild man. Then he comes and he goes to Adullam and he, he gathers people around him. He wanders and wanders and wanders. He does a whole bunch of turns and twists. During this time, he takes his parents and his family to Moab to, for safety because how better to get at someone that you hate than to harm their family. So he's separated from his family, you know, that he takes to a foreign country and says, hey, stay there. Then he comes back, he again spares his pursuer's life, Saul. Saul wanted to kill him, not just get him out of the way, he wanted to kill him. And then he finally just says, okay, and this is the passage, 1 Samuel 27 to 30. If you want to open your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 27. He comes to Gath again to this King Achish. He's got 600 mighty warriors with him. So if you said they've got families and so forth, probably like the town of Hudson following him around, right? Like this is not a little group of people that just throw up on the doorstep in Gath and say, hey, we got a tough thing going on in our hometown. Can we come live with you? So King Achish then sends him down to Ziklag and the opportunity for David to, to work. Here again, so he's come to Gath. His family's down in Moab. He's come down to Ziklag. The Amalekites who are against God's people. So he's close and, is, and spends a year and four months raiding here. And we'll continue in his story. But the opportunity for David to get away from his problems. How do I escape this? How do I just get away? God's obviously, his time has not happened. How do I just jump ship? And so he ends up 
in, in, Philist, in the Philistine country with a king that he isn't supposed to serve that's actually against his God. The overview of these chapters, just to give you a picture here, there's a lot of content in here. And this is not um, a part of David's life that's often talked about. So I'd encourage you, if you want to come back and, and pursue some of these um, chapters, chapter by chapter, they're pretty deep. We're going to take a mountaintop approach and, and wrap this up, hopefully, in time. And the clock's not back anymore, so we're good. <laughs> chapter 27, David flees to Gath, King Achish, a second time and settles in Ziklag. Chapter 28's an interesting one. We'll touch on it briefly, but Saul hits his despair point, and where does he turn? Chapter 29, David actually and his men prepare to fight the very people that he's been told he's going to be king of. And then chapter 30, things go from bad to worse. David comes back. God spares him from having to go against Israel in battle, and everything is gone and burned of his personal possessions, including his wife, kids, and all the things that he had. And he responds in a different way this time. Where did this all start off? So as you're in 1 Samuel chapter 27, check out verse 1. And I'm, I'm reading through the New King James this year and next year. I was in New Living prior. I was in the ESV prior to that just to continue. So there's nothing. So all these verses are in New, New King James because that's what I'm in right now. David said in his heart, now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. Was that true or false? God had promised that he would be king. Saul had everything in this earth, the power, the position, the capacity, all those things to make one little guy disappear from the face of the earth. And yet God's word stands. And David said, he said in his heart, how often have I said in my heart, you know what, this situation isn't changing. I've been praying about this for 10 years. Twenty years. Thirty years. Some of you maybe fifty years. And there's no change. And then what do you do? The world would say, hey, if you're gonna do something, make a change. Think about it yourself. And act. God's way. He's waiting for us to come and say, hey, I'm yours in this pit. You've not guaranteed me avoidance of pits, but you've guaranteed me that you will be with me in, in and through this pit. But David's perspective is such that he is really being despondent. Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. He's taken God's promise and given up on it. Easy to do, isn't it? to give up on what God says he will do. Jesus is coming. Do we live like it? Do we know it? Yes. But let me get back to work. The world around us is dying, going to hell without Christ. How do we live in light of the promises of God? There's nothing better for me than I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. The best idea that I can come up with is I'm going to go join the enemy again. It worked last time. They didn't kill me. I know I can at least survive there. What's, what's number one in David's life right here? 
David, his comfort, his protection, his, right? How often do I make choices that are for my comfort, for my pleasure, for my security? I always am like a plan B, plan C, D, E, F person, right? Like, yeah, let's go with plan A, but let's always be ready with another plan. David says, there's nothing better for me. Is that true? No. So he starts off with telling himself falsehoods. He's left the truth. He's left what he knows. He's left the, the ground rock firm foundation we sang about in first meeting this morning. And Saul despair of me, so then he had a plan. So if I go away, follow this, Saul will despair of me, and he'll quit chasing me all over. So I'll escape out of his hand. Making plans without asking God. How many of us have done that today? He wants us to ask him, bring him into all decisions, all things. Life in the pits. David's been on the run, as they've said, for 10 years. The prophet Samuel, who anointed David, now he's dead. David refused to kill Saul because Saul was the Lord's anointed. And now David goes into, into, Philistine, into Philistine and trades God's assignment to be king of Israel to be the bodyguard of a Philistine king. How many of us help out God and then accept a lesser plan than what he had for us? Because we thought in our heart that what God told us wasn't really going to happen. God can't change me. That's just the way I am. Sorry, I can't help it. I then fill in the blank. God doesn't leave us where we are, but we have to go to him and ask him for help. Each one of us have seen things in our lives change that we thought would never change because of Christ. He can continue to do that in each of our lives if we'll let him. But if we don't, we're going to take a lesser assignment. It might be comfortable, might be doing what you know, but that assignment may be less than what God had planned for you. And David and his 600 men of war, um, what a group they were. They were faithful to him. These are all thugs. First Chronicles 12. Now these were the men who came to David at Ziklag while he was still a fugitive from Saul, the son of Kish. And they were among the mighty men, helpers in the war, armed with bows, using both the right hand and left hand, hurling stones and shooting arrows with the bow. The next sentence here, they were of, should say, Saul's tribe. Benjamin, Saul's brethren. The chief was, he goes on to list them. Some Gadites joined David at the stronghold in the wilderness. Mighty men of valor, trained for battle, who could handle shield and spear, whose faces were like the faces of lions, and who were swift as gazelles on the mountains. A few verses later, then some of the sons of Benjamin and Judah came to David at the stronghold. Then the spirit came upon Amasa, chief of the captains, who said, we are yours, O David, we are on your side, O son of Jesse. Peace, peace to you, and peace to your helpers, for your God helps you. So, God so David received them and made them captains of the troop. David's in Ziklag in Philistine. None of these people were supposed to be there. This was not their home. This was not their home. So what do they do for 16 months? They're all just doing what David and his people do. 
They're killing everyone, taking all the stuff because they're men of war. David was in a comfortable place. I know how to do this. George Farber, sorry, at camp years and years and years. I can't, George, are you here? He's in Dubuque. I don't, know, I don't remember if the last two are in the right order. We took a poll last night at our house because we've heard it so many times. Sin takes you farther than you want to go. I know that's in the right order. Then these are the two, I don't know which, but they're both consistent. Costs you more than you want to pay, keeps you longer than you want to stay. When I miss out on running to God, when I hit a pothole in life, it costs me and costs others. Chapter 28. Philistines are preparing for battle. Now it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. And what happens? David's a mighty force, right? And Achish said to him, to David, you assuredly know that you'll go out with me to battle, you and your men. And how's David respond? Surely you know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, therefore I will make you one of my chief guardians. What's that next word? Forever. Satan wants to grab us and hold us for life because he is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. When we find ourselves not just going through a pothole of life, but stuck in the pit. Satan wants us to stay there. Maybe you've been in a pit for a long, long time. Maybe it's self-pity. Maybe it's, I don't know what it might be, but you've not brought God into the situation where God's situation and presence is closer to you than what it is. You're looking at that and going, I know my thumb is not as big as that, but man, I can't see what's real that God's bigger because I've got this thing so pulled close to my perspective. So here again, he's down in Ziklag. They come back to Gath and the Philistines are gathering here and they're going to go fight Saul up there. And it's interesting that that little area up there, why were they fighting up there? Because the Philistines had that part of the country, right? They kind of broke this off. And so they're going to fight about this area to control that part, which is very important to Israel. Saul hits a point of despair. When those around us, and we won't go into as Saul a believer or not, or we see him in heaven, there's lots of things. But the fact of the matter is, is Saul had every opportunity to make God his own. And what did he say to Samuel? Sacrifice to your God. You may be born and raised here. We're blessed to, and sorry, Mallory. We welcome Mallory in this morning. You may have been born and raised here. You may be here for the very first time. On the outside, we, may, we all look very similar, but on the inside is what matters. Do you really know Christ? Have you really put your trust in him? Is he Lord and Savior? Is it just a, man, I know that God's powerful. When, David saw, when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, who David was a part of, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Saul's crutch, Samuel, was gone. 
Moreover, then he goes and says, well, I got to find out something. Find me a woman who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, in fact, there's a woman who is a medium in an indoor. And Saul had said, any mediums should be killed in the land. And now he's turning to one. Moreover, the Lord also delivered Israel, just what she said, will also deliver with you into the hand of the Philistines and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. First Chronicles 10, 13. So Saul died for his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against the Lord because he did not keep the word of the Lord, but also because he consulted a medium for guidance. It goes down at the end there. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath on Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Saul had every opportunity and missed it. He never made God his own. Tragic. What do we learn from Saul just briefly here? That's not our point this morning, but we must fear the Lord and obey his commands. When God says something, whether we agree with it, like it, understand it, want it, he doesn't accept the offering of Cain when you say, hey, but I brought you my best. He said, no, this is what I require of you. We play light and loose as Americans, because we have our individual rights with God's command. We think God's commands are suggestions. He's daddy and is going to accept me whatever I do. I loved, yes, he's daddy, but that also means that there's relationship there. When we don't follow through on that relationship, there's a problem. Because he is still the ultimate authority of my life. I'm his. I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. Saul lived his life with the ability to know the future as told by Samuel from God. Can you imagine being able to see around corners? Saul lived that way. Before he went to battle, he knew if he was going to win, he knew what was going to happen. Saul lived his life with the ability to live, know the future. God had rejected Saul as king because of his disobedience. His three sons would die that day as Israel's defeated. I was, I always, sorry, I always just wonder... What would happen if Saul would have said, you know what, David, God's given you the throne. Here you go. Instead of 10 years of hunting him like a beast. Thwarting God's plan that both of them knew was God's plan. What if Jonathan had joined David instead of staying with his dad in King Saul? Hopefully you don't get stuck there. That's not the point of our message this morning. Chapter 29. David prepares to fight against Saul and Israel. You know, when David fled and said, hey, I'm gonna, I got a plan, he probably never thought that it's going to end up with me being aligned with the side that's against God's people. When we make friendship with the world, we align ourselves with what they hold as important. We align ourselves with what the world says is the way to go. Got to take care of yourself. Got to know what you're doing and have a plan instead of trusting God. 
Previous choices have consequences that we may not anticipate. How often has my mom said that to me as a kid? Where is this leading, Bobby? Right? Like, it doesn't matter. It's just today. I'm going to do this and then, yeah, where is this headed? We don't think about those things when we're thinking to ourselves and not including God, making plans without him in the middle. I speak from experience. I'm not... David and his mighty men are preparing for war against their own people. David, meanwhile, David's family is still down in Moab by themselves. He's he's continues to grow, probably 2,500 people or more. His band of warring raiders were accumulating wealth as they were in the Philistine area for 16 months. They'd go to a town, destroy it, take everything. So things are going pretty well from a warrior's standpoint. They're getting more sheep. They're getting more stuff but it wasn't God's plan. David's poor choices impact others, but God intervenes. First Chronicles 12, verse 19, and some from Manasseh defected to David when he was going with the Philistines to battle against Saul. Imagine this. So this was a known fact. Hey, David, who's anointed king of Israel, is joined the Philistines. Hey, let's go fight with them. What was that campfire discussion like? No, we're not going to go fight with Saul. We're going to go with David and join our enemies. How often do we take the world's point of view on issues? We won't go into them this morning, but the world is trying to push all kinds of things at us that have no place of us even questioning, and yet we try and say we're tolerant when God is saying, no, this is right and this is wrong. I bet Vanessa never thought, when they had a fire, the kids sitting around the fire, wait, Dad, you're going to fight with whom? Against whom? God intervenes. They did not help them, for the lords of the Philistines sent him away by agreement, saying, he, David, may defect to his master Saul and endanger our heads. They said, you know what? No, we're not going to let this David fight with us. We don't care, Achish, how much you've tested him. We're not going to take a chance. When leaders make poor decisions, others are impacted. Fathers, it starts in your home. When you make bad choices, it impacts the rest of your family. God's plans always prevail. It says God directs our steps. We make plans in our hearts, but God directs our steps. But we shouldn't presume upon God to keep us from the full consequences of our choices. God did not have to stop David from fighting with the Philistines and ruin what had been prophesied against him. God didn't owe that to David. God doesn't owe it to me to stop me from pursuing the things that I want to pursue in the way I want to pursue them. But here God, again, shows grace to David. So here we are back. So David's here. He parades with the the Philistines and he's sent back. He's, nope, go home. So now David in chapter 29. I wonder if he was relieved or upset or... But his warring men were like, this is our chance. We finally get to kill this Saul guy. We're not going after anybody except Saul. We've been running for some of us for 10 years of David. It's time to get him. David won't, so let's do it. And they're sent home. 
without getting to do what they do best. 1 Samuel chapter 30. I'm going to continue on your reading there. Then things got worse, a lot worse. How many times have you been in a tough spot and then it just got worse? Just got worse. All that David had been working for, all that they'd been doing. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag, back where they came back down to, on the third day, so they'd been gone just a short time, the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire. Sounds like what David and his men do. And they had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great and this is a grace of God here, they did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. This is David, right? His family's gone, all his stuff is gone. What he's got is his armor and his mighty men and nothing else, just a burning, smoldering. And he knows what happens when that happens. But this is what David does, right? This is in the mainstream of what he is about. There again, he's going back after the Amalekites down at the bottom. David strengthens himself in the Lord. What a different response. So in this situation, instead of being afraid, instead of running, David, it's interesting that this is actually in David's kind of his main, his main strength, right? He's of military might and has the power around him to, to handle things. But instead of going, okay, I know what to do, what's he do? Then David and the people who were with him lifted their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. Have you ever been in a place where you just can't even cry anymore? Yeah. What do we do then? What is there's a why in the road that's there? And David and David's two wives, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, they've been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed. Why? For the people spoke of stoning him, because of everyone's soul of all the people was grieved, and every every man for his sons and his daughters. Everyone around David now has turned on him, right? When he said, hey, I got an idea. Let's go to, back to Gath. We're going to be good there. Saul quit following us. We can keep doing what we do and life will be great. Now that plan has not worked out and the people around him are ready to stone him. And what's David's response? Instead of coming up with his own plan, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. How do we do that in the midst of not just a pothole in the road, but like a crater. When we're shaken and stirred and poked, what's inside prior is what comes out. Is it anger? Is it blame? Is it cursing at God? Is it David turned his heart to the Lord? and said, well, God, what should I do? Then David said to Abathar the priest, Abimelech's son, 
please bring the ephod here to me. And Abathar took, brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I pursue this troop? Like, as if David's not going to do that. David's really down at the base level. Lord, what do you want done? I'll do whatever you want. What a great place that is when I'm there. What a great place it is when you're there. Lord, whatever it is you want. All's on the table. Shall I overtake them? And he said, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them. Without fail, recover all. So David's like, okay, great. Very much this different response this time. Instead of relying on his own strength, he asked God what to do. What a great thing. James 1, verses 2 and 5. Levi and I were talking about this. Some of your small groups in James. My brother encountered all joy when you fall into various trials. It's not if. And if you lack wisdom, verse 5, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally or generously without reproach and it'll be given to him. What do we do when we're not in just crossing over a pothole but in a, in a hole that seems like there's no way to crawl out? God, give me wisdom. Wisdom is knowing what to do and doing it. David then goes and attacks. He gets everything back. I love this. Then all the wicked and worthless men. So he had 600 men. Only four of them had the oomph to keep pursuing. So 200 of them stayed with the stuff that they had left. 400 of them went to war. There must have been a bunch of them because 400 men on Campbell's gets away. They killed everyone else. Took all their stuff. So they're coming back. They are lugging it. There's so much. And they're saying, hey, these guys didn't come to battle, so we're not going to share with them, right? What's David do this time? He said, my brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us, who has preserved us and delivered us into the hand, the troop that came against us. For who will heed us in this manner? But as his part is who goes down to the battle, so shall his part be who stays with the supplies. Their share shall be alike. So it was from that day forward that he, David, made a statute and an ordinance for this day forward. Remember my dad saying when he'd be leaving for a Gideon trip or another, the elders used to meet every week, right, Ray? Monday night, I was in the gym. Why was I so good at soccer? Because I had hours in the gym. Monday nights, Tuesday nights. I, hate, I hated those meetings. They took my dad away. He'd always say, hey, you know what? He'd point to this and say, the reward is the same for those that go to battle as those that stay with the stuff. Ladies, some of you, men, some of you, kids, some of you are enabling others to go. Marlis has an empty chair next to her. Caleb's in Liberia. She can either be ticked off at him when he comes back on Wednesday or be happy that he went, and I'm sure that's the way he'll be. There's rewards for you, just the same. That doesn't mean that tomorrow morning when it's time for school, it's going to be easy. Caleb's not going to be there. But you'll be rewarded if you join him in heart. 1 Samuel 30, 26. Now David came to Ziklag. He sent some of the spoil to the elders of Judah. So David's starting to make up. All these people that had stuck with him for 10 years at the threat of Saul, housing him, hiding him, Finally, he's able to send some stuff back. Some life lessons. See, God went in despair. David's mistake was he thought to himself instead of trusting God. 
Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. I've seen this over and over and over. Hope you have too. Test God in this. It's walking by faith saying, okay, God, I, I'm going to put my best ideas aside. What do you want? God's in control and we can trust him. We don't need to lie, pretend to be someone we're not or live a life of compromise. David, those 16 months was lying to Achish and telling him he was doing things he wasn't and what a complicated life. We must walk by faith when there does not seem to be a chance of things working out. You say, but Bob or, but God, my spouse is never going to change or my situation at work is never going to change or I'm never going to change or whatever it is that we lose faith that God is bigger than. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Those that come to him must believe that he is, that he's the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Okay, God, I believe you. What part do you want me to play or do you just want me to be patient and let you be God? Who we hang around impacts our decisions. Be not to see bad company corrupts good morals. David needed some good people around him. He had a priest, but didn't sound like he sought his advice much. 16 months of disobedience cost us and those around us. David had a false sense of security in Ziklag. Are you comfortable? Am I comfortable? Kind of in taking control of my life? Saying, okay, God, I'm going to help out. David ended up serving the wrong king. Am I serving myself? Am I serving self and Satan instead of God? Why would I... Why would I ever trade that? David lived to extend compromise without seeking God. How long will I live in sin before I ask God for help? Maybe you're in a situation this morning that you find yourself and you don't see a way out. Our God is bigger. Our God has a plan. And sometimes it's not just what we're after. Maybe his plan is to mold us. Maybe his plan is to cause us to be more like his son. Again, sin takes you farther than you want to go, costs you more than you want to pay, keeps you longer than you want to stay. Jesus is our hope in a hopeless world. Pits are unavoidable. We need not despair. This morning he's breaking your bread in Romans 8. That's where we're going to end up this morning. That it's not if trials and tribulations. Dad's got a, both hips and a shoulder replaced. Trials and tribulations don't just end, right? Then old age hits you and smacks you in the face. Our lives are full of tribulation. I think of Gene Anderson and Sandy and just the beauty. We went to visit them and we, you walk away more blessed than you blessing them. Why? They've got an eternal perspective. It's not about here. I had a mentor that said, Bob, if it's about here, then they win. It's not about here. Sorry, I'm behind. Lots of examples in the Bible. Jesus, Job. We talked about Jesus this morning. Father, if this cup can pass for me, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Sometimes we have God's plan is for us to go across potholes that are going to be painful.
We don't want to be in despair, though. When, not if, we find ourselves in the pits, we must not rely on self, but look upward and ask God what he wants us to do. James 1, again, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Not hooray, I'm in suffering again. Hooray, God is with me. I can count on him. What do I do? If anyone lacks wisdom, wisdom is knowing what to do and then doing it. Lord, I don't know what to do. And then I don't even have the strength to do what I know to do. Give me wisdom, knowing what to do and doing it. God will give it to us. Sometimes pits last for a very long time, but God always keeps his promises. It's 25 years from when God told Abraham that Isaac would be born. And Sarah had an idea, hey, I know. Now we have Ishmael. Faith is believing God for what he's already done. Faith is believing God for what he's already done. When he promises, it's as good as done. When God says something, if you believe in me, you'll be saved, it's done. Praise God that his promises don't rely on me. When we live by faith, we don't fear or fall into despair because we have hope in God for today and for all eternity. It doesn't mean the circumstances go away. It doesn't mean that that pothole that's on the way, we've got a, a continual hole that there's a stop sign at Rancho and Butterfield that just continues to break up. Right now it's just kind of cracked, but it's going to get worse. And they're going to fill it back in. Maybe you've got things in your life that you know that regularly are just a constant dripping that are like, why can't we just fix this. God's molding and making us into his likeness. Pray and walk in faith. Faith helps give us an eternal perspective that gives us hope. All of us need hope. Zacchaeus was looking for Jesus. Are you looking for Jesus? Jesus says there in Luke 10, 19, 10, for the son of man, Jesus has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Maybe this morning you don't have the access to the ultimate source of hope, who is Jesus. Not just a feel good, not just a self-help book. That's not Jesus. Jesus is a relationship that wants to love you, walk with you. But he starts by forgiving you of your sins so you can have a relationship with the holy God. That's the good news. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, for I delivered to you first of all, that's what I received. Paul just lays out the gospel here, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Acts 16.31 was this, and breaking bread this morning. They brought him out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your household. By faith, do you believe Jesus died to pay for your sins? He did. Yet the question is, is, do you believe it? The question is, is, will you avail yourself to that forgiveness? And your homework assignment for today is to read the second half of Romans chapter 8. Oops. All right, you're not going to, there it is. Yet in all, the, all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither 
life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to what? Separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we're in the pits of this life, God is with us and loves us in Jesus Christ our Lord. Whether you're in a pit right now or a test or a trial or one's around the corner because we're all, it's not punishment, it's just part of this life. God wants to use situations to mold us into his likeness. The opportunity for us to not forget or lose sight that God's not forgotten about you. He's not forgotten about me. He hadn't forgotten about David, even though it had been 10 years of his 30 years of life. A day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. The Lord may just now be changing that situation that you're struggling with or have been for a long time. Will I believe that he can do it? Maybe it's my own life. What is it in, in your own life, my life, that, Lord, help me change this? No. Lord, here I am. What do you want me to do? And then do it in obedience. Jesus is our hope in a hopeless world. Let's share them with those around us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for just the story of David and the opportunity to examine it. Lord, there's so many similarities How often do I not stop and ask you for wisdom, but instead push forward? And thank you for this reminder of what happens when we don't stop, when we find ourselves in despair. And it's because we've not brought you closer. We brought our problems closer to us than we brought you. And we know that you're greater than all things. We know that nothing can separate us from your love in Christ Jesus. Lord, if there be anyone here this morning that doesn't know you, that doesn't know that hope, that's wandering through this world without forgiveness of sins, not knowing where they'll spend eternity, not knowing the opportunity to have a relationship with their loving creator that wants to walk with them here on earth through the potholes and pits of life. Lord, just by faith, may they take you at your word that says, serves what must I do to be saved. And the response was, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your household. There's not a doctrinal test. There's not a full understanding. It's a, Jesus, I come as I am. I'm a sinner and need a savior. And then you take us from there and somehow take these clay vessels that are but dust and mold them into a likeness that can bring you glory as long as you give us breath here on earth. Lord, help us to be encouragement to one another as each of us, hit potholes in life. Help us to love, help us to, to be there for one another and to show your grace and to, to point each other to Christ in those times when hardship besets us. And Lord, maybe even we can then do as James says, that we can count it all joy when we have hardships. We don't seek them, but we also know that you're with us in them. So we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.